There's no failures. There's only lessons. The only way you fail is if you give up. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Digital Nomads Daily Podcast. Today, I have here an expert on hosting parties, hosting people, hosting companies and their people. <laughs> welcome. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much. Really excited to be here and do a little episode with you. Yeah, exciting. Um, it's actually quite funny because we met uh, running remote for the first time in real life. A lot of my digital nomad remote work friends, like lately, they're all like uh, LinkedIn friends. And then we meet in real life. But for us, it was the other way around. We met at running remote. Then we had a little cool um, co-living experience with, with our buddy Kenneth. He was also here on the podcast. And now we're here podcasting far away. <laughs> It's funny, that feels like it was so long ago, but it was such a great trip. Uh, that was my first time attending Running Remote. And I think for most people that were there, it was the first time meeting all these people in real life. We know we've all been connected on LinkedIn for however long it's been. Uh, but just to kind of see each other's you know, mannerisms and hear the, each other talk and all that fun stuff, it was such a great event. I'm definitely going again next year. It's not yeah. a plug. I'm not getting paid to say that either. <laughs> <laughs> you should pay us. <laughs> yeah, no, they should, right? <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, uh... <laughs> I will shoot Liam a message. He was la he was last year on my podcast and had a really interesting conversation with him, also about remote work and the future of remote work. And I'm yeah, definitely interesting. I hope he's coming back to the podcast next year and to kind of see how things have progressed. Anyhow, that is next year. We're still in 2023 rocking it hard and we're going to kickstart this episode with a few quick questions that i always ask my guests and my first question for you is how long have you been nomading so i'm technically not nomading anymore and i know that's more of a lifestyle and a mindset than it is a physical lifestyle <laughs> no, so i started nomading back in 2016 i had just finished grad school and had an opportunity to go travel and sell software to different universities across the country uh, there were four to six week contracts and I wasn't ready to pick a city to settle in yet or get jobs and do the whole real life thing. So I took these contracts and hit the road uh, after six weeks and a ton of universities. I had some time off. I went over to Europe. I had originally done a study abroad in Spain when I was 21 and just fell in love with Europe and fell in love with uh, Sevilla and the whole Spanish lifestyle. So I knew I was going to go back. Uh, and then my life just kind of kept in that pace for a while. I would do six weeks contracts and like a couple weeks in Europe and then another contract. And it was always supposed to be temporary. And then, you know, six months later, somebody says, oh, you're such a digital nomad. I, was like, I, don't, I don't know what that is. You're going to have to explain. So I, I go end up looking it up online and I find the nomad or the digital nomad subreddit and say, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of people who live like this. This is great. Uh, so I, I hopped around for a couple of years until I ended up in Thailand, I, I made it to the island of Koh Phangan and stayed at my first co-living, co-working space called CoSpace. K-O-H in Thai means island and CoSpace, fun plan words there. Uh, fell in love with that. The owners were super great. Uh, became very quick friends. They invited me back to manage the space uh, the next season. And then I ended up fast forwarding through two years there, <laughs> another two years, and opened up two more locations. Uh, that's where we launched Nomadic 6 and started doing just co-living, co-working. It was there up until COVID, so 2019, uh, we had to walk away. 
and came back to the States. And this is pretty much where I've been since, but I'm still doing my uh, my work. Uh, right now I'm doing company retreats. That gets me kind of out and abroad okay. every so often. They're and, going yeah. too fast, Matt. I need to ask the other quick questions. <laughs> life story. Yeah, here we go. How do you summarize five years of your life in in two minutes? Because I can't do it. <laughs> well, I was just asking you how long you were nomading. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I'm joking. Guys, Matt and I are friends, so we're super like laughy and stuff. But also, to be very honest... We had uh, a recording a few weeks ago, and then there was something wrong with the audio. So it's just kind of, we know each other so well. But I do want to ask these questions because obviously you're listening to this episode and you don't know Matt, maybe. So in short, Matt, how, how many years is it more or less just to, you know, have a sexy short answer? <laughs> uh, well, I did it for four years. And then right now it's 2023. So I guess it's been seven since I launched the whole adventure. Cool. Love it. And and also to what you said, like you're not really nomading anymore. Um, yeah, I think that I mean, what what is it really, right? Like some people take a break, they go back go back to it. Other people they buy a house and they just do it like a few months out of the year. That's also why I love this podcast. Um uh, and there's not really one way of doing it. So uh once a nomad, always a nomad. So it is the mindset, isn't it? Right, right. Uh, so I'm curious, though, where are you actually chatting from right now? So I'm in Naples, Florida. Not not the fun Naples in Italy. It's the other Naples, <laughs> the uh, the Floridian one. Cool, cool. All right. I remember actually at first I was like, oh, Naples, Italy. And even though you said it, it didn't land. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, technically my family's from Naples back in the day, like my great grandparents, but. I guess I just had to move to a city named Naples. It was in, in the cards, right? Wow. Du double Naples. Cool. All right. So I, I also ask always my guests, what do they do to make their monies? Um, so can you uh, please go back to the full story <laughs> that you said in the beginning? No, but can you explain to, to our listeners like uh, what you do? I already gave it away a little bit in the intro, but um, yeah. Can you share the magic. Well, for so long, when people ask me that question, I'd say it really depends on the day. Because, as, <laughs> as, you know, as a as a nomad, you're kind of a hustler. Uh, a lot of digital nomads start off just trying to figure it out. You know, we fall in love with the lifestyle and we're just trying to figure out how to survive, whether it's a remote job or a remote company. I've kind of always been entrepreneurial uh, anyway. Uh, so not telling the whole story again, but going from co-living spaces into pop-up events and pop-up co-living experiences, now we're doing company retreats. So this is where we'll bring a company to some really great destination. And we specifically organize events in what we call environments designed for human thriving. And this is really nice, like villas or boutique resorts that we can kind of recreate that campus experience so that your distributed team or your remote team can have the privacy, the space to themselves to connect and play and learn and, and work together as you don't really get to do uh, online. That's not to say, obviously, I'm very remote first. <laughs> We're a remote organization ourselves. Uh, but our whole philosophy is that strong remote teams work best when they have time, intentional time together in real life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also really ties into like the whole digital nomad lifestyle because specifically that word um, intentional, like, 
I feel like that one thing that people, companies, or um, like even governments don't really see is that what we're doing is not running away from something scary or whatever. Like we're just trying to live life on 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 different terms, on our own terms. And that that does require a lot of intentionality if that's in your personal life, your travel life, your location, but also your work life. So yeah, I guess it's also really hard for companies to kind of like figure out how to do all of this because I mean, it's kind of a new concept. I think we're kind of like the OGs of the digital nomading, working remotely and then kind of leading that crowd. And we're not even so old. So it's like, you know, it's hard for companies. So I'm, let's talk about that later. I, I really want to touch on, uh, on, on the co-living experiences. What is it that, that got you so drawn to that? Because you were there, you could have done like other things to make money online. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so when I was there, I was doing the digital marketing thing. I had just a little agency doing graphic work. I built websites, uh, paid media, all that kind of stuff. Uh, while I was there, when I was looking for places to stay in Thailand, what was really strange about it was I was just looking at Airbnb, for like a one bedroom something. And I came across this listing that just said, uh, one bedroom with co-working space. What is that? It's so interesting. Uh, and I was like, well, this is great for $500 a month. I can have an office and have a place to live and like sleep, uh, beyond that. I didn't even think about the next step of like, there are, are going to be other people there that are <laughs> living and working the same way I am. So like bonus, I wasn't even expecting that. Uh, and it was just such a nice environment and this is a great experience to kind of drop in and have like instant friends and, uh, a place to kind of just be comfortable in and to have events in and uh after making friends with the owners you know they wanted they were looking for someone to manage uh for a few months and i had a little bit of property management experience in my past i, I did it while i was uh going through grad school uh, so i kind of understood the whole idea of you know, rent and pay and bills and managing buildings and breaking things and internet and all that kind of stuff i kind of had a general grasp for it uh but the difference was it was managing a building of people that I really like enjoyed to be around. And it was just, it was intoxicating. It was such a great uh, life. So as I transitioned thinking, man, I really want to set up more of a, of a life here in Kofangan and, and build this kind of brand around Nomadic Six and co-living and co-working and really take this to the next level. Uh, I had to end up cutting ties with my business. I was kind of selling off some clients, winding things down, not to mention, I was working on Eastern time. So it was like a 12 hour time difference. Ooh. Taking calls at three in the morning for a year was not fun. So that was another motivating factor to transition more into like the uh, hospitality side of things. That makes a lot of sense. And you know what? Like maybe this is just like to quickly touch on like when people say like, yeah, I'm just moving to Asia because ah, I can live there for cheap. It's great. Like it's not really about that because it has such a big impact on your day-to-day -day life, specifically, or especially if you have, yeah, clients in certain time zones that it's just not going to work out. And, you know, if you are uh, working while people are, well, sleeping or partying, having fun, and you are sleeping while other people are, I don't know, working, going to the beach, having fun, like you're not really living your ideal life. So yeah, it's like, it, it, it you really have to be intentional also about what kind of work do you do? What time zones? What time zones 
or locations would would match that like can you handle it and it's not human it's not sustainable to like be kind of like a midnight worker like literally our bodies aren't made for that i yeah <laughs> it, was, it was exhausting yeah and it, it, i think that's what's so alluring about asia like you said it is beautiful it is a totally different culture uh, especially coming from the states uh, i'd never been over there um and after just falling in love with everything about it the food the people the, the lifestyle it's like how do i how do i make this my my life and how do i build something around this and that seemed the most, the most logical reason. We didn't know COVID was going to happen. Of course, nobody did. Uh, so, yeah, I'm always kind of curious what would have happened if, if COVID didn't happen. Um, would we have survived COVID? Uh, I don't know. It's a whole question. But everything happens for a reason. And I do love what That's we do now. That's a different episode. <laughs> Very different episode. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So at this point you were there on, you were kind of like, or kind of, you were managing the place, um, but now you have your own company. So um, I guess there's like a whole story of things that happen in between, but how did you go from managing someone else's like um, property, co-living space to like building all the way your own company and then even transition into doing company retreats like that. Those are like really big jobs. Can we like go through some of those jobs? Because I think it's very interesting also for our audience to kind of hear like how your career can evolve. I'm sometimes a little bit unexpectedly, I guess. And then how in terms of like mindset, like how do you even deal with that? Like, how do you stay sane? <laughs> I'm glad you think I'm sane. That's so nice of you to say. I'm glad you said. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you can't do it. You're gonna lose your mind. Ah! <laughs> um, I guess in, in once upon a time, I, I heard uh, kind of the idea. Of, I learned about persistence, and uh, this this line always sticks in my head of like the only way you fail is if you give up. And I just really never gave up, even when things fell apart. And walking away from Thailand, like I, I remember my flight back home to the states was just like oh my god like this was such a failure what an epic crash of you know partnerships and all the hard lessons you learn doing business it always kind of adds up right there's there's no failures there's only lessons and i remember a friend of my dad's actually said like somebody who fails a lot ends up being really successful and kept saying like well i'm waiting for the full million dollar check here but things have progressed in a nice way where I'm I'm much happier where what I'm doing now than I was there. Because I'll tell you, like as much as it sounds amazing to run beachfront hotels in Kopangan, stressful. It's really tough, and low season is hard financially. Uh, high season is fun and all, but it's a uh, it's a day to day. It's a different economy. It's a different lifestyle, and it's it's not all it's cracked up to be. And then when you have partnerships that aren't really thriving or working, or there's a lot of conflict, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Business isn't going to work. Uh, so a lot of what I can say is what I've learned over the last few years is if you're looking for business partners, really take your time. It's, it's kind of the idea of, uh, hire slow, fire fast is a really great kind of mantra to have when you're thinking about who you're going to work with, who you're going to bring on your team, especially if you're thinking about partnerships. I'm at the position now where, uh, my, I'm very selective if I do any partnerships at all. And it's usually if. Only if there's people bringing stuff to the table that I, I can't do or I absolutely need to split this with them. Um, I love But yeah, I think it's it's just a matter of figuring out like what works for you uh, and what do you want, 
right? And that, that's such a hard, it sounds like an easy question, but uh, that question changes, you know, to answer that question. What do you want? What do I want to experience? What do I want to uh, learn? <laughs> what do I want to give back to the world? Those are hard questions to answer. They don't always just come off the cuff, right? Yeah. And and also, also what you said about the partnerships, like I relate to that a lot with Digital Nomads Daily. I mean, we got so many requests of like, oh, can you can you sponsor this? Can you squeeze this in your episode, et cetera, et cetera. But I learned after like podcasting now for, it's not even that long. It's like, what is it? Like one, one and a half, two years. I just kind of, I don't want to do it because I don't like it. So now I started to refocus on on partnerships that truly bring me joy, where I also have an impact, whether as that digital nomad expert or I come in with my marketing agency for like the funnels and stuff. But I'm so, so I'm slow about making decisions. And actually the relationships that I've been building over these past years, those are the ones that are now turning into very fruitful partnerships. Um, which is so much later, like, whereas a lot of people would start a project or a business or especially like a content business and travel, digital nomadism, creative stuff to get quick partnerships. But then, you know, it can work out, but yeah, it can backfire as well uh, a lot. So I really love that you shared that because that doesn't apply to big partnerships. It also applies to, to yeah, the people that you hire, the clients that you work with. Like if you have really shitty clients and you're freelancing, you have to deal with all these people. Oh my God, it's exhausting. Bend oh yeah, that's that. a, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that goes beyond even just business partnerships. Clients, we, we say that too. Um, and the clients we work with now, it's it's very intentional. It's not, um, I think a lot of people go into business and they take a lot of like, the, they read the sales books and they take the courses and I've read them all, I've done them all. And like, it's just kind of part of the process to learn business, right? Like I think the best book to read if you're going into entrepreneurship or building any business is the road less stupid. It's it's a business bible. Each chapter comes with thinking time, and I'm not even done with it yet because there's so much work to be done while reading it. Um, but it really calls out a lot of fallacies around entrepreneurship. The the you know the get rich quick schemes that are out there, and what it is to really be a boss. What what does that mean to be a CEO, and what what roles do you really have to take on, and what do you have to learn. Uh, and yeah, so like in terms of like clients, it is really like a, a who, not how. Same with your team, right? I'd rather have really great clients I enjoy working with than like, like quality versus quantity. Right? That, yeah. That's also another kind of driving point. Um, yeah, another great book, Who, Not How. That's another really good book I'll plug. Love it. Love it. And and I think also that not just like to business stuff, but also your personal life, like what I see as well as like digital nomad, and I'm kind of like slow metting right now, taking it really, really slow, is that I'm, I am connected with a lot of people and I love it, but I'm really, truly, truly connected with very close friendships with a bunch of people, not a hand or two hands. It, it's a bit more than that because I love people, but um, I'm, I'm very selective of that. And also, yeah, I mean, if the energy is not right, it's not like, oh, I'm going to remove you from my life. But I'm happy to walk away for it for a while and be like, okay, this is not my vibe. That's fine. I might not be your vibe for a while. That's fine too. And then maybe you you kind of like rekindle and maybe not. Like that, all of that can happen. Um, and same goes with locations and all of that. So lots of learnings there. I'm um, okay. So 
You then started building your company around retreats, company retreats, to be specific. Before you go into those details, I'm very curious about it. What, what is what is so special about it for like a company to say like, "Yo, people, we're going to this place and we're gonna hang out." Like, what is it about it that makes it so important that you thought? I'm going to build a business around this because I want to help companies actually do this. So after I got back to the States from living in Thailand and I was thinking about like, what's next? What are we doing? Granted, it was COVID, so it wasn't a lot to do anyway. Uh, I had made contact with uh, my another business partner of mine that I had uh, named Sam Kern uh, from Experience House, where... We were both really into co-living. We really knew the benefits of it. We, we saw it. We both experienced it. What happens when you bring people together uh, intentionally for, for time. And in, I believe it was October of 2020, we said, well, let's, let's work together. Let's, do, let's try it. Let's see what happens when we bring 30 experienced designers together for 30 days. And that was kind of our first experience house. And it was such a wonderful month of amazing people and granted uh, the intention there was to bring people like us, community builders, people who host events together for essentially like a 30-day conference uh, to experiment and and practice our craft of connecting people. Uh, that was such a hit and such a success for us. We did uh, two more events together. Uh, but after the third one, uh, we were kind of, again, going to separate directions in terms of vision and where we wanted to bring Experience House. And I was leaning towards... Uh, companies more so that really it's the hypothesis that formed. Uh, if we could take 30 strangers and run their own event and build this community afterwards, I always said the worst thing about Experience House was that it had to end. Like when it was over, we all had to go our separate ways. And sure, we were all very close still. And it's, it, I built some really great friendships, but we're not living together. We're not working together. So the community fizzles out a bit. But what happens if you work with existing communities or remote teams? run them through an event and see what happens afterwards. And my hypothesis is you build better cultures. You build better communities that are your teams and your companies, thusly building a better company. So that's where we are. That's why we do what we do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I think also in general, like I have been doing co-living experiences. What I also very found, and actually we had this as well because we, we were in Kenneth's house after running remote. Um, and what I really love was that we, like, you wake up, you do your thing, everyone can kind of keep its own routine. This is more co-living, but if you have, I guess, a company retreat where there's some sort of flexibility and not, it's not like a military regime. Wake up! <laughs> Actually, like that, I mean, it might be something. I Who knows? But um, uh, what I really loved about it is that um, throughout the day, we had different moments where we connect in like different ways. And we were talking from personal things to business to giving each other like little golden nuggets, like, or even like, oh, hey, I'm like running into this problem right now, or oh, this is annoying, or oh, I don't know how to solve this, or this just happened. And just like giving like very chill feedback without like so much pressure. And then we still have a beer and we still have fun. And like it, it, it was just such a great mix. I'm, I think I could have done it a little bit longer, but then at one point I was like, okay, it's also nice that it actually ended, but I would want to do it again. 
Um, because mm. I feel like because of that, like you and I got so much more connected and created this great friendship because we didn't really knew each other. So I can imagine that if you're working together in a company, like you don't have to become best friends, but if you understand someone, how they operate, if they have a certain face, um, but a chill body language, like then when you have the screen, the next time you see that face, you can interpret way better, like stuff like that. I think it's a really cool way to get to know each other. What is our... What what is like one of the the coolest experiences that you have organized that you're like looking back at and like whoa that that's something I'm so freaking proud of. Oh man, well I mean we've taken people up active volcanoes and through the Sahara Desert. <laughs> Those are pretty wild. Um, we've done a group through China, which is really interesting. We were that one. We were with a Zen Buddhist master, and she took us to parts of China that really don't see Westerners very much. In that people would come and take pictures with us just because we weren't. Asian <laughs> um, and there's so many other things we want to do too I think what I what we're kind of falling to is in terms of as a brand we're still also finding our footing right we're really only been doing company retreats for about a year granted Nomadic 6 has been the company that we've ran since uh, the co-living spaces back in 2018 but uh, we're still not really sure like where do we find home and it does seem to be somewhere amongst the more adventurous uh, so we're planning a trip to Serbia uh, next uh, next month, and we've already got some fun stuff kind of planned for them. And yeah, I think the more we talk about it, the more the, the less likely we are to go to like a Marriott hotel. That's not really where where we are, and the more likely we are to take the Oriental Express from Paris to Budapest with a company or something like that, right? Yeah. You can really create also an experience because you have access to stories to inspiration to people something that is like you said is not uh, a Marriott hotel is not like your typical conference that is not like you know a boring room with uh, a few whiteboards and be like let's connect like stuff like that mm -hmm. it's not it's not fluffy and dusty and anything like that it's kind of cool and I think also for like an employer brand of a company I mean that is like that can attract so much talent um, mm -hmm. just because if you're like one of the cool companies that and that's also what 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 we want in these in the, this day and age right that sounds like we're really old but we want experiences and we want to also choose for ourselves or decide for ourselves what we think of that exactly it's a win across the board when i look at it even as a as a new hire if i'm just getting onboarded to hear that my company goes on this epic trip once or twice a year sign me up uh if i'm uh senior level executive and my team is really detached uh, giving them using as an incentive to say hey if we hit our goals this quarter we're gonna go hike volcanoes it's great awesome uh it is something about uh the value of travel and especially adventure travel uh one thing i think it's really important to work on is understanding your values and understanding beyond uh your the societal values and there's another book called the values factor I recommend in that it helps you kind of identify things beyond like, like truth and honesty. I like, guess these are, these are societal values, but what is something important to you? So for me, it's like a community is really important. Now playtime is really important to me. So once I kind of identify values, I can build my company around that and it'll attract people that have shared values and companies that have shared values. And even at a hiring standpoint, 
don't you want to work with people that share your company values or have know their values? So that's really where we are. And that's where we're trying to find the right companies to work with and full circle conversation. Uh, one, it's a little tougher to find, but when we identify a company we really like and we get along, it's, it's a wonderful time. Yeah. And then also going back to what we talked earlier, like or earlier about is that, you know, if that is a good match, it and and all goes well like that could be a very fruitful long-lasting relationship winning everyone is winning everyone is like uh yeah like really getting the best out of that relationship and when you when you like design these um these company retreats like i, I what i'm curious about is is this for like a, a a specific size or like what what are some of these practicalities because maybe a company is like yeah but we're only 10 people we can we can book that trip for ourselves or a company is like yeah but we're like i don't know like 150 people like with it's impossible like how do you go about that we've seen all the whole range uh, <laughs> small groups are way more intimate and they're usually a lot uh more flexible they're a little easier to plan to. Ten, booking 10 flights is a lot easier than booking 100 flights. So it's no no, no lie there. Uh, I think it really, from what we've seen, uh, there's a lot of companies that have been doing it in-house and have been doing it themselves. Uh, but what seems to be the issue is that they're giving the, the job to people that already have other jobs. So usually it's like HR, uh, the executive assistants, even like the operations people, the COO somehow gets responsible, uh, is responsible for planning the retreat and they do it, they pull it off, but they usually aren't really into it, right? They're, it's like, they're doing it begrudgingly. They, they do it because it's their job. While they have other things to do, they have other things to occupy their time. <laughs> when people come to us, it's more like asking for help. Like, Hey, we really want to keep doing this because everyone loves it and it's great, but we don't have the time and we don't have the resources can you help? And I'm like, absolutely. This is what we do. We do book the flights. We do handle the visa work. We do handle all the relationships with the venues and the food and beverage and the activities and A to Z. We, we just check it. We just show you along the way uh, how things are going. Um, and yeah, I guess beyond that, the other group of people, uh, the bigger companies, I think what I usually feel is they're trying to cram pack a lot into like one week. So if you have a team of 80, 100, 200, and you want everyone to connect, it's not going to happen in five days. Uh, so what we try to pitch is, or what we try to design for, is breaking up that larger group into smaller groups. So it might still be the same trip. It might still might be 80 people going to uh, you know, Colorado or something, but we're going to house people intentionally. So we'll do like villas, for example, five, 10 bedrooms. And make sure those people in that house are there for a reason. It's the marketing team. It's the sales team. It's leadership, whatever it may be, uh, that need to spend time together. And that way, we're making the most of it. Cool. I really love that. And when on, I was recently, I was talking with Leah. She is like uh, into uh, designing like co-living experiences, very, very specific about co-living there are a few like design principles and sort of s strategies that she uses and that it's or checklists, like things that that need to happen during an experience like that. Do you have like a certain philosophy, methodology, or, like something like that that is really like the repeating 
or not the repeating, but kind of like the 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 secret sauce of nomadic sex. Can't tell you my secret sauce. That'll ruin my whole business. What are you talking about? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so we were very much. You're so annoying. Uh, yeah, sorry. Podcast is over. I got to hang up now. We're done. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we really don't like to use the word uh, event planners or we don't like to call ourselves like a travel agency. We're not a destination management company, even though we do all those things. And in the traditional sense, that is how we are classified in some tax bracket. Uh, we're, we're experience designers. That's really the best way to describe what we are and what we do in that we design moments and we build memories, right? And to be memorable, to be remarkable, uh, there's another wonderful book called The Power of Moments. And it talks about uh, how most of the time we don't really have a say in what becomes a memory. It's usually something that's a surprise or something random or something like when you graduate college or get a promotion or lose a loved one. Like these are moments that are very powerful, but we don't really have a say in it. It just kind of happens. However, you can design these kind of moments. You can design powerful moments. And one of my favorite lines is we should never sacrifice remarkable for reasonable, meaning you know, lower budgets or uh, things that are easier to do versus things that are hard, right? Um, so when we when we design our events, we, we design with that in mind and we think about every opportunity to design something amazing. The entry experience, the peak experience, the closing experience, and all the time in between. Another big secret I'd say is less is more. <laughs> That's another kind of part. Intentional downtime. Let your people be free to connect and chat and just kind of play around. That's what people like to do at the other day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It kind of reminds me of um, of like things like speed dating or even when you're at an event and they put you on a room and you kind of like speed networking. Like stuff like that. Like I understand the concept. I'm not against it, by the way. But if it's sort of a train, like an ongoing thing of activities like that, it's like it feels so forced. And I think this this sort of thing of connecting because there's something energetically happen or someone makes a comment and having space to like interact with that or with that moment, that that is what the true connection is. So I always find it a little bit hard when people put me on a chair and they're like, connect now. Like, eh, that's not really how I roll, but I can try. <laughs> that's exactly it. Uh, during our onboarding process, it's rather extensive. Uh, we ask a lot of really tougher questions and not, not super tough, but uh, we want to get to know each, each uh, participant. Uh, what's described for us your perfect day? You know, what conditions allow you to be your best self? Uh, what's something you really need from the company right now? What's something you wish the leadership did more of, did less of? So we're really trying to get to the heart of uh, what's going on in our participants' minds uh, so then we can design around that. So a lot of people, I think in our space too, other retreat planners, they kind of build a package and they offer it and they say, do you want this, yes or no? As opposed to us, we we kind of build the event with the group along the way as we're learning about them and as we're kind of seeing you know, what What kind of TED talk would you do if you had to get on stage and talk about something that gives us insight and in something they really, we had a guy who says he loves talking about uh, Magellan and uh, like maybe we should put him on stage and have him talk about Magellan. Like, why not? Uh, so that's really key is uh, getting to know the people before you do the event. And that helps design so much better. Love that. Love that. 
Well, I I can't like we're recording for like thirty minutes or something already. This is so crazy. Like, <laughs> all right. So, well, I, I do have like one one more question for you, and that's more like a, a takeaway question, also for companies. Like, if if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you're like, okay, I'm I'm part of a remote company, and I actually think that this would be really cool. Or if you are uh, a leading voice in a company, um, and uh, like, how would you, what would you tell people to tell their bosses or superiors or managers or whoever, like how, how this is such a great idea and that they should definitely like considering working with a company that actually understands how to create these types of experiences. Like, what is the sales pitch? <laughs> it's so funny you said that or you asked that because uh, every quarter we come up with an artifact, which is it's like a PDF, like a free PDF to give out. Uh, our first one was like a complete in-person strategy guide for uh, remote teams uh, or distributed teams. And the one we're doing this quarter is all about selling upwards and like convincing your boss that retreats are a good idea. So if you go to our website, nomadxx.com, you'll find that nice little PDF for you to download. Uh, but generally I would say really knowing your boss is key. Know what are their values? What are their objectives? What's their boss's boss like? How do they like to receive uh, feedback or criticism if at all, right? Um, understanding what, what their pressure points are before you, uh, try to answer your own pressure points. Cause it, it's kind of like that seeing what you're selling from the other person's perspective is key in this, um, and beyond that, I mean, we love helping with that. We do have, we've had a few people ask us that same question and we've helped build proposals with them uh, to the point where we'll give them our full proposal and say, like, take this in and show it around. We're happy to talk uh, just to answer any questions. Uh, but the real, the real key is to uh, understand where your company is at and what the uh, ROI is. And the ROI is usually going to be somewhere around like one of these four categories. And this is how we survey our people and how we design our events. How connected is the team? Scale one to 10. How is the collaboration of the team? One to 10. What is the education of the team? As in what are the career advancements, the the, the learnings, the, the programs designed to advance the team? And finally, uh, integration of the team in somebody's life. How does the company integrate into their lives? How does remote practices integrate into their lives? A uh, one to ten. What's the work-life balance? Even if you want to put it that way. And when we ask those questions, we start to see a picture form very quickly uh, around how each department feels. So leadership might be really disconnected or really connected, or sales might be really well educated, have a great education program, but marketing doesn't. So when we start to kind of see these pictures and these these metrics form. You can say like, hey, marketing really needs to spend some time uh, together um, connecting with each other or you know, customer service needs some time learning new ways to advance their careers or learn better skills. So once we kind of know that or you know that, you can make a better presentation to your company. Hello, wow. Actually, guys, I didn't know that you just had this quarterly thing of... <laughs> We haven't actually published it yet, but I figure by the time you broadcast this, it'll be published. So it yeah, will be. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it should be. It's, it's so I have funny. It on, like, <laughs> over here. 
it's in design still, but it's about to be dead. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I, I really didn't know. Like, uh, that's good. I love it. Okay. Well, th this is all great. And we will make sure to add that to the uh, to the show notes as well. So if you go to digitalnomadsdaily.com slash podcast, you can find this episode and all the other episodes. Um, but then we, when you scroll down, you can find that PDF. I think it's great. And also what I, um, why I asked that question is it's kind of similar to like, okay, you want to work remotely, but your boss is calling you back into office. And this was like, um, especially after pandemic, right? Like how, like what are strategies to convince your boss or what or not even convinced, but to kind of like make, make a good case for yourself, you know? I'm so I have asked this question about that specifically before and I was like I, I think I want to ask this question again but then for this one like how to make a, a good case and I really like what you said about the sales point like yeah don't 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 yell or or stand on the floor like a tiny baby like I want this no like really try to see the bigger picture of that and I think also if you approach it that way like what a great employee are you then like people are really gonna I'm um, value that like because not everyone will approach it that way. So it's also good for yourself as a as a employee, as a good team member to like, you know, um, advance yourself and how you communicate these things. So, you know, even if you don't want to go on a company retreat, still download it because you might learn a thing or two. <laughs> yeah, it's really just understanding your boss and understanding uh, how to recruit people to also make your point too there, that's all in there too recruiting people on your team or in the company to get on your side it's almost like it's very political i, I will say i've never really worked in a large organization uh but as we were writing this putting this together it was really interesting thinking about like how congress gets votes passed right you have to kind of lobby and uh convince different people to have your side so there's there's plenty of resources there to think about love it love it all right so we're almost at the end of the episode, but before we go, I always ask my guests if they have one question for me. So, Mr. Matt, do you have a question? <laughs> uh, well, it was great about re-recording our podcast. I get to ask you a different question because last time I liked your answer, but now I can ask you something else. What did you ask last time? I forgot. Last time I asked, uh, now that you've transitioned back to your, which I guess I could ask again because it was a good question. Uh, and maybe I'll just frame it differently. You got to ask two so questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you were pretty based in Brazil, and I think you had a vision for Brazil and a life there, much as I had in Thailand. I had a whole plan to be there. But now you've been in Europe for a while, and you've kind of reestablished some kind of European life. Uh, I'm very curious, do you see yourself venturing back to the Americas, or do you really see a European future? Man. I don't know. This is this <laughs> that's the right answer. You can't know. Who knows? Nobody can possibly uh, no. know. No, no. But it's um, yeah. So it, you might be new to this podcast. So just a little backstory. I I was in Brazil with my ex partner. We were like nomading in Brazil, and then out of nowhere, I was single. Went to running remote. <laughs> um, thanks. Thanks also to Matt. I was going to. Uh, I was able to handle that break off uh, pretty well. And thanks also for all of that. You're such a good friend. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, and now I'm in Europe. And to be honest, I thought, ah, I will go back. I will go back. But actually, even since the last time we talked about this, so many things are happening in terms of opportunities. And interesting enough, 
all these opportunities keep me in this sort of European time zone. And then Morocco is an exception of that. Like it's on my bucket list. I I will record an episode about that. But anyhow, so I feel like not myself choosing this so intentionally. I feel like the universe is literally keeping me here. So I'm not fighting that shit. I'm just like, all right, I probably have to stay here. And that's what I'm doing. But I'm nomading in Europe. And I'm last year, I was like, oh, it wouldn't be so nice to be in Europe and do a bit of like different cities because I am European, but I didn't really travel through Europe as an adult because I kind of did my exchanges in Europe and then, bam, I went to Asia. (laughs) So, you know, and then at the point, at the time, like, I don't know, Max wasn't into it. So fine, we didn't go. Um, And now I'm doing it. It's, It's freaking amazing. I've been in Lisbon. I've been in Malaga with you and um, uh, Kenneth. Sorry, I'm. I've been well in Amsterdam. Of like Netherlands, of course. I went to Budapest. I went to Bucharest. I've been to London. I'm in Vienna right now. I'm going to Cyprus. I'm. I'm going to Barcelona. So it's like holy crap. Those are like ten locations, and I didn't plan any of this. So I'm just like. I guess that's it. Um, it's the European life. Got to do it, the tour. Yeah, and it feels good. And and to the point uh, earlier about time zones, a lot of my clients are either from like UK or they're from the US. So, I mean, it's kind of easy to be in Europe. It's not so bad for me. So I think it's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That really is it. I mean, you got to be close to the work, Some at least in the time zone. Uh, that's that helps a lot yeah and it depends where you are in life but i'm i'm like building my marketing agency and that has so much priority so for me it's like i would not live intentionally and on my own terms if i am going to sexy asia like that wouldn't feel right right now like maybe next year who who knows but not right now I might even do a winter in Europe. That's scary because I don't do winter. <laughs> yeah, you say south. I mean, I, I did a winter in Barcelona, like November, December, uh, January, and it was fine. I thought it was great. It didn't snow. It got to maybe, well, in Fahrenheit, it got to like the 40s, uh, whatever that means in Celsius. I don't know, but it's, uh, it got chilly. You wear a scarf, you wear a jacket, but I loved it. I'm being from Florida and living in Florida my whole life. To get to wear a jacket and a scarf is is like fun. Yeah, it's, it's exciting for us. So, uh, I, I, no, we <laughs> we we will never uh, go go hand in hand on this topic. I fucking hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I know, so. I people who experience winter feel the same way, but you know, summer tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Well, uh, that was it for today. Or did you also have your second question? Do you want to get that out or? I think we're good. <laughs> I feel content. You're real content. I'm so I'm so yeah. happy. All right. Um. Thanks so much for joining me. Just to make sure that everyone understands where they can find you. Where Where can they find you? What are your links, URLs, um, handles? Uh, nomadic6.com is our website. At nomadic6, all that stuff. Instagram, same thing. Young Mateus. Sidebar: I had to take Young Mateus because Young Matt was taken. Mateus is Matthew in Portuguese. I'm not Portuguese. Just don't read it the wrong way. Yeah. (laughs) 
I love that. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening today. Um, that was really amazing that you tuned in here and you know where to get that guide. And if you want to listen to all the other podcast episodes, um, go to digitalnomadsdaily.com slash podcast. If you love this episode, if you're a fan, if you just want to like say hello, please do that. I have people doing that all the time and I really love it. Last week, I actually met up with a podcast listener here in Vienna. So that's really exciting. Uh, make sure to rate it, love it, share it, heart it. Do all the things. Spread all the love. <laughs> do all the things. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining today, Matt. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope it gave you more insights into how you can design your own lifestyle. The conversations on this podcast really showed me that there is not one secret way to success. If you want to build a lifestyle that works for you, you will need to put in the work to create a successful life and live it with confidence. This podcast wouldn't exist without the Digital Nomad community. And I'm so grateful for all the guests to share personal stories about what's happening behind the scenes. It's been super helpful for myself. And if you would like to continue learning, don't forget to check out the other episodes.